Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome to an hour and a half of discussion with my broadcast partners here at the broadcast table that will give us reports on current events happening around the world, those events seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken Timmerman is standing by. We'll look at geopolitical events in just a moment. We also have a report from Romania. Our two sons, Jim Jr. and Rick, are out there. They're speaking to a group of young people. These are young people in leadership positions, and their desire is to win back Romania for Jesus Christ. The communist youth took over the country a couple of years ago. They're trying to reverse that by learning what they need to know from God's Word and then living that out and reaching people there in Romania. You do not want to miss that conversation with Julian. He has a great plan, and he's working his plan. It's a very important conversation. I want you to hear so you can pray for this ministry. Well, Kim, let's get to the geopolitical events. In light of the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Republic, the revolution there in Iran, Iran has unveiled a cruise missile that neither Israel nor the United States will be able to intercept, according to them. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, let's talk about that 40th anniversary. I mean, I'm sure you reported on it at that time. What were your thoughts at the time and even today now? Well, Jimmy, the the Iranian regime officially came into existence on the night of February 11, February 12, 1979, and it was a putsch. It was a uh, coup d'etat carried out by what now is called the Revolutionary Guards. At the time, it was it was the uh, militia that were faithful to Ayatollah Khomeini. They attacked a variety of uh, air force bases, of army bases, the Imperial Guard uh, forces loyal to the Shah rounded up 3,500 generals and colonels in his army murdered them during the night. And that gruesome murder of over 3,500 Iranian patriots by these thugs, these armed thugs loyal to Ayatollah Khomeini, is what the regime continues to celebrate today. And just this sidebar, when the Shah of Iran, who was taken down in order for this revolution to take place, when he was at the White House with Jimmy Carter, I was covering it as a journalist. They were demonstrating outside the White House, Jimmy Carter inside, telling the Shah that the United States was going to back away from them, which opened that door, of course, for the Islamic Revolution there in Iran. I want to continue our conversation focusing on Iran because of their 40th anniversary, a number of threats they are making to people around the world. For example, Europe is concerned threatening Iran with retaliation if they don't quit assassination attempts on European soil and some of their test of these missiles. Iran saying that they're going to go in with a a ground-sea-air war on Israel. They are only intensifying themselves as a great threat not only to Israel, not only to the United States, the Middle East, but now Europe as well. Uh, And it's time the Europeans woke up that they are finally in the sights of the Iranian regime. Many of the weapons that the Iranians have developed, indeed, are capable of targeting Europe and not capable of targeting the United States, at least not the continental United States. It will be very interesting to see what happens at the meeting that Secretary of State Pompeo 
has convened for next week in Warsaw, Poland. It's pegged as an international meeting on the Middle East, but everybody knows that it's going to focus on Iran and how to coordinate a multilateral approach of strengthening pressures on the Islamic regime in Tehran. And, and that's what this is really all about, Jimmy. Uh, the Iranian regime is very worried about those pressures coming that are going to come from Europe in the future. I have a number of things that I will be publishing over the next week, measures that the United States can take to enhance those pressures. Uh, I think our allies are getting ready to finally work together with the United States to increase diplomatic pressure, economic pressure to enhance sanctions, and probably also military pressure in Syria. But uh, I'm, I'm sure that we're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to be at that meeting that uh, the Secretary of State has pulled together, but he's also going to meet with Vladimir Putin later this month in Russia, focusing on Syria and Iran. Is Russia going to assist in what's going on in control of Iran, or are they just going to continue to partner with this Islamic State? Well, I think until Russia pays a price for its partnership with the Islamic State of Iran, they're going to continue to work with them. And so far, nobody has made them pay a price. I don't expect there's going to be any diminution of Russia's support for the Iranian regime. Prime Minister Netanyahu meets regularly with Putin, and uh, you know, he doesn't have anybody back in Tel Aviv that I'm aware of uh, claiming that he had some kind of dark collusion with the Russians because he meets with mm. the leader of Russia. Mm-hmm. He has a national security reason to meet with the leader of Russia, and that is to attempt to convince him to back off from his support of Iran. And so far, at least in the recent months, I should say, Netanyahu has not been successful. Previously, he was successful. So they used to have, and we've spoken about that on this program, a hotline between Tel Aviv and Moscow, Jerusalem and Moscow, uh, in advance of Israeli airstrikes in Syria against Iranian targets. In recent months, that that hotline has gone uh, cold. So my guess is that this is part of Netanyahu's ongoing effort to woo the Russians away. He might get some concessions from them. He might not. But we should certainly be watching that very, very closely. And I'm sure that you and I will be talking about it once we get reports on what actually happened in that closed-door session. Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu also talking about Hezbollah. They're controlling Lebanon, basically. But Hezbollah this week made this statement Hey, look, if Iran decides to go after Israel, they're not going to be alone. So the threat is still there. Iran is going to continue. Even in its 40th anniversary, it looks like they're going to intensify their threat to the entire world. Well, here's what's going on behind the scenes, Jimmy. The Iranians, we hear them, and we hear Hezbollah beating the drums of war. Why are they doing this at this moment? Uh, They are doing it because they are actually feeling the pressure, not just from Israel, but also from the United States. What do they do when they're feeling the pressure? They try to divert attention from what's going on inside Iran or the economic squeeze on Iran, the, the, the squeeze of international sanctions on Iran. They try to divert attention to what's going on outside. They want us to focus on Syria. They want us to focus on Lebanon. And you're absolutely right. Hezbollah today controls the government of Lebanon more than ever before, and they will continue to control the government of of Lebanon. And the Hezbollah leader came out just this past week and made this very long televised statement where he boasts that they control the government of Lebanon and boasts 
that if Iran becomes embroiled in a war with Israel, that Hezbollah will be by their side. But this, again, Jimmy, is to disguise the weakness of the regime inside. The protests are continuing inside Iran. The United States just this past week uh, announced a new initiative, a broadcasting initiative, a 24-7 Persian-language broadcasting network into Iran. The Iranians are worried about this. They have feet of clay, and they understand that unless they can divert attention to these things going on outside Iran, the regime actually can see its days numbered. You know, I can't make up my mind whether President Trump is the smartest guy in the world militarily or has made a mistake as it relates to the withdrawal of U.S. troops in Syria. Pentagon making a statement uh, that uh, unchecked Islamic State could resume in Syria in about 6 to 12 months. Your thoughts about this? I'm not sure what I'm thinking right now. Well, this is a regular report from the Inspector General at the Pentagon. It's a welcome report. It is a factual report. And one of the many things that they say in that report that they doubt the estimate of twenty to 30,000 ISIS fighters in Syria and Iraq, which have been put out by the United Nations, and by the way, touted in public by the U.S. intelligence community leaders in that hearing the other week, where everybody jumped on President Trump saying he doubted their intelligence and he should go, they should go back to school. Well, what we're learning from this Inspector General's report is that the president was right. They should really go back to school because nobody truly believes there are twenty to 30,000 ISIS fighters in Syria and Iraq when they have lost the entire physical, geographical caliphate. And instead of having a, a territory, instead of controlling a territory the size of the state of Kentucky, they are now controlling territory of about 20 square miles. Uh, and that's it. You don't pack 20 to 30,000 fighters into that small territory. Yes, ISIS has the intention to regroup. Yes, they have the ability to continue to attract and recruit foreign fighters. And probably, according to the Inspector General, a trickle of foreign fighters is still arriving into Syria. From where? From Turkey, with the active uh, participation and the active assistance of the government of Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, But that doesn't mean that the caliphate is unchecked. And by the way, when the president says we're going to be leaving Syria, he does not mean either, and he's made this very clear, that we're going to ease the pressure on ISIS. I think he's going to keep that Tanif base, which is on the border with Syria, Iraq, and Jordan, I think he's going to keep it open. It may not be manned by U.S. troops, but it will be supported by the U.S. from neighboring Iraq. 30 to 40 miles away, and it will include, it will probably be manned by Kurdish allies and Arabs, and they will keep up the physical and military presence on ISIS. Thanks for clearing that up, Ken. By the way, Ken will stay on top of this story for us right here on Prophecy Today. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities, he's so key to our understanding of this world today in preparation for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Ken, thank you, my good friend. Have a great week. We'll talk again next time. Thanks, Jimmy. I realize I was a bit long-winded on that one, but I thought it was necessary to get those details out. God bless. It's good information. We needed to have it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update for us. We'll get to David here at the broadcast table in just one moment. The Tabernacle is the name of the church in Danville, Virginia. That's where I'll be all day Sunday and then Monday evening for a two-day prophecy conference. We have selected this weekend because it's a key, the 40th anniversary of Iran and the Islamic Revolution. We'll be talking about that at the Tabernacle, plus other scenarios prophetically that can be found in God's Word. Dr. Danny Campbell invites you to come join us at the Tabernacle, Danville, Virginia, on Sunday and Monday starting at 10.15 on Sunday morning, 5 o'clock on Sunday evening, 7 p.m. on Monday with a prophecy Q&A both of the evenings an hour before the starting time. Come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. David, we come to you right now. Some late-breaking news about events taking place on Friday evening and then into Saturday and the weekend there at the Gaza border. It's not quieted down. It's been this way for about six months. It seems to have intensified just a bit, does it not? Well, it has, Jimmy. Uh, We had reports that the Palestinians were bulldozing garbage and trash from around the border fence in preparation for stepped-up riots, and that's what we had on Friday. The Israelis said around 7,000, mostly young Palestinians, rioted at four locations. And in the south, near Khan Yunus, was the worst. They breached the border fence. 
They were throwing incendiary devices at Israeli soldiers. The Israelis shot back, later some tank fire, and the Palestinian authorities say two Palestinian teenage boys, one 14 and one 18, were killed. And then reports came that uh, rockets were being fired into the southern Israel area from the Gaza Strip, apparently in response to those killings. So pretty obvious that Hamas has decided to step up uh, the attacks against Israel once again. Uh, the former Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman said this just proves Netanyahu's policy of restraint is failing and that Israel has to go in there militarily. So all that back on the table now as the southern front heats up once again. David Dolan will stay on top of this story for us as we continue to cover the Middle East, a key region in understanding the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Well, David, all of that going on in the South, but Iran has threatened a direct ground-sea-air war against Israel. Now, we hear these threats all the time. Is there any difference in this particular threat? Well, we got some more details of just what they might be planning this week from some of their officials. The Deputy Revolutionary Guards Commander Hussein Salami in particular, he said that they have, quote, developed a strategic capacity to ensure the death of the illegitimate Zionist regime. He said for years now they've been crafting their policies with the goal of destroying Israel. He went on to say that it would only take three days until Israel could be totally destroyed. Well, that came just hours after Iran tested its latest weapon. That's a cruise missile that apparently is Russian-made originally, and that can reach any Israeli city or town, Jimmy, from western Iran. It has a range of almost a 1,000 miles. The Israeli border is 850 miles west of Iran, so that's a bad development. Now, some reports in Israel say that it has showed some signs of not being working perfectly. It wobbled a bit and whatever, but it's low-flying, below radar, very, very difficult to see it coming or to intercept it, and it has the possibility, the capability to carry a nuclear warhead, but certainly heavy conventional weapons, so that's a bad development indeed. Well, and that was launched, actually, on the day of the 40th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution there in Iran. So they are saying to the world, we're not going away, we're only going to intensify. And that looks like the case, since Iran is Israel's number one enemy, does it not? Well, it does, Jimmy, and uh, later in the week, they attempted to launch a satellite, their second attempt in two months. Some reports in Israel say it failed. Other reports, including Fox News and others in the Middle East, said it succeeded, and Iran just decided not to talk about it. But they've been saying all along that they have a number of surprises, both militarily and otherwise, for Israel and the region during this 40th year anniversary of their takeover of Iran. So we'll have to see what else is coming. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Netanyahu has set up a meeting with Vladimir Putin in Russia. Uh, Their main discussion will be Iran and Syria, which seems to be logical in light of what you've just reported. Well, it does, Jimmy, but at the same time that they're planning to meet a little bit later this month, we're having a conference in Poland where the Iranian threat is going to be a main focus. That's a U.S.-sponsored, but Israel will be there and various NATO allies and others. So the evidence is that Putin continues to try to reach out to Israel. 
He hasn't completely crossed it off the list, despite all the statements we've had in recent months that they can't attack Syrian positions, they can't attack Iranian forces in Syria. And, Jimmy, by the way, we had reports that U.S. aircraft struck both Iranian and Syrian positions in eastern Syria last weekend after three rockets were aimed at the huge Assad base in western Iraq. We didn't have that confirmed by any other sources but some media reports in the Middle East, but it's a serious development, and the conflict definitely continues. This comes as we're hearing that U.S. forces will be withdrawn by the end of April from Syria. Well, if this includes all of the forces, it's something the Israelis, the Jordanians, and others are definitely going to be protesting against. They already basically have. But President Trump did reiterate that it is his goal to, as he said, bring the boys home from Syria, so it looks like that is on, although it's a slower withdrawal than we originally thought would take place. And at the same time in the Sinai, Islamic Jihad, the leader, is making the statement that Israelis are the new Nazis. What a statement to make against Israel, but uh, what does he actually mean by that? Well, Jimmy, that's actually become the new ISIS base in the area. They're very active in the Sinai Peninsula, right along the Gaza Strip, but also very, very close to southern Israel. They basically got a new mini-state there, another reason why the Israelis and others, of course, U.S. officials, uh, we talked about that last week. We had some more statements this week from the central commander of U.S. forces in the Middle East that ISIS is not defeated. They could be reconstituted within 6 to 12 months in a state in Syria, but definitely they are operating in the Sinai. Their goal is always been to get after Israel. They want that caliphate, Jimmy, not just to have a caliphate, they want to get rid of all pro-American and pro-Israeli forces in the area and take over Saudi Arabia and other things, but definitely they want to attack Israel, and they have a lot of supporters in the Gaza Strip, of course in Lebanon, in Syria, and other places where their forces are still operating. They haven't gone away, and of course it's an ideology. It's a deeply based religious view that there can be no Jewish state. Muslims are the chosen people of God, not Jews and Jews must get out of the area, something we hear almost every day from the Iranians as well. Very interesting move taken by some senior Israeli leaders. I'm talking about members of the Israeli present cabinet and also members of uh, the Knesset, the legislators there in Israel, pledging that two million Jews will be living very soon now in Judea and Samaria, or as referred to by some, the West Bank. I mean, there's about 500,000 now. That's four times as many Jews in Judea and Samaria. Is that a viable possibility, you think, David? Well, it certainly is. It's the biblical heartland, and Jews, many Jews, want to live there. It's very close to Jerusalem, which is also, of course, part of Judea and Samaria, Judea in particular. But, Jimmy, we have reports that Jason Greenblatt and Gerald Kirshner from the U.S. are coming to the region late this month to promote the president's new peace plan. And as we've discussed before, the peace plan apparently includes that Jews would not be allowed to do much more building in Judea and Samaria. They'd be allowed to keep most of the communities that are there now, but abandon about 15% of them. Whether this would be supported by anybody else in the world, we'll have to see. We also had the candidate Benny Gantz, who wants to be the new prime minister, getting hot water this week when he praised the withdrawal from Gaza in 2005, and he indicated that Israel's going to have to do at least a partial withdrawal from parts of Judea and Samaria. So 
It's definitely not going to happen without a battle, Jimmy, but you and I know what the book says, Ezekiel 36 in particular, the Jews would return to the mountains, the hills of Israel, that's Judea and Samaria, they're there, they're not going to leave, certainly not voluntarily, and many more do want to come. And, of course, anti-Semitism heating up all around the world, that is definitely, um, let's say, a factor in Jews wanting to leave those countries and come to Israel. Well, where are they going to live? Around Jerusalem is where many of them want to, and that is part of the disputed uh, territories. I want to tell you something, my dear friend. Ezekiel 36, talking about the land of Israel that God's promised the Jewish people, is an absolute. It will be fulfilled. One of the reasons we focus on this Middle Eastern region with David Dolan is because it is so key to the end-time scenario found in God's Word. And we so are thrilled to have David with us, his background and experience and insight so valuable to each and every one of us. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll focus on another key region in this world. We're talking about the European Union. John Rood reports on that region. We'll have that conversation in a moment right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? Hi, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with VCY America, I'm excited to announce our upcoming trip March 13th through the 22nd, 2019. Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We're going to look at Israel past, present, and future. The Bible will come alive as you see places such as the Shepherd's Fields, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not only to visit the site, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today, 423-821-3635, to find out more about our VCY America Prophecy Today Israel trip, March 13th through the 22nd. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. As already stated, right after the broadcast, we head over to Danville, Virginia. We'll be at the Tabernacle. Dr. Danny Campbell is the pastor, invites everybody to the two-day prophecy conference. Be there all day Sunday and then Monday evening. Come study the prophetic word of God. What a time in history for us to gather together to study God's plan for the end times from his word. Love to see you. That's the Tabernacle, Danville, Virginia, Sunday and Monday. Well, let's get to the broadcast partners in this half hour. I've asked for 90 minutes. This is a half hour's worth. We'll have three of our broadcast partners, starting with John Rood. He covers the European Union for us. And, John, let me get it right out of the gate to you. Iran is posing a growing problem and a threat to all of Europe. What can you tell me about this? Well, Europe has, of course, had more or less a policy of appeasement, but it's uh, very hard to hide that. We know that it's very uh, economically inclined. Of course, the Iran agreement, which the United States has broken, uh, the EU is doing everything they can to, 
to stay in that framework. They've even created this new system of payments called INSTEX, I-N-S-T-E-X. But the United States has put pressure on them, and it's very hard to hide the fact that Iran has its policies are terrorism, political assassinations, and the missile test that was just this last weekend, the EU is saying this is uh, not acceptable, but Iran continues the policies, plotting with explosives, attacks, assassinations, espionage, all types of things. So the EU needs to change their position of appeasement and get serious of dealing with Iran, because now these missiles are literally in their backyard. Yeah, that is a major threat. And uh, you're talking about the events unfolding, the missile tests, the assassination attempts on uh, European soil, and the EU warning Iran to stop all of this. Can they really back that threat up to Iran? Are the peoples and the leadership of the European Union really capable of doing that? Uh, You know, they've tried many times, but it's been very futile. Even at the beginning of much of the tensions with Iran, the EU was like, we sent a delegation, this is all taken care of, We've we've got this covered. And it was always meaningless. So now that European Union has stepped up the rhetoric towards Iran, they're just coming back with very hardliner statements and saying there are identified terrorist groups in Europe. Why, you know, why don't you deal with those and leave Iran alone? So it's an escalating situation to some extent. You know, I don't know where to start when I want to ask you a question about Brexit. It seems to change from week to week for sure, but from day to day almost, even hour to hour sometimes. Brexit uh, is being called a revolt against a German-run European superstate. How would you respond to that? Well, Germany, of course, is the central motor of the European Union. And many, several of the nations are challenging this. Of course, Brexit, by leaving, would not be involved in any of the German plans. But what has happened has been a shift in the presentation And so Merkel's government has come out with a very unpopular fiscal policy and has opened the door to immigration, which really has all backfired and created this Euroskeptic increase. And it's bringing down to the very, very big question. Is Europe a group of sovereign nations or is it a federal European superstate? Well, of course, the United Kingdom is saying no. They've only wanted to be in a free trade area from the very beginning. And this is, this is really coming down to the wire. We, this, we have till the end of March, and the EU will not open the agreement. But a very, very significant uh, happening. Just recently, Theresa May went to Northern Ireland and promised them that there will be no closed border with the Republic of Ireland. And so both the EU and Theresa May are insisting that the Irish border backdrop is in place. The European Parliament will not accept this, so we will have a hard Brexit. There will be a no deal. This is the example the EU thinks will be to discourage other nations to leave. In reality, it's going to have the opposite effect that now other countries see that they can leave without a deal.
Yeah, very interesting development going on there. By the way, the chairman of the council said uh, must be a hot place in hell for those who try to change things. <laughs> May I don't know if she's paying attention or not. Uh, that that has brought out a lot of animosity. You know, how dare the European Union not uh, be working with the process and forcing this on Europe, and on the United Kingdom, and then come out with such a statement. But I can say that I do know personally of members of the Parliament in the United Kingdom that are praying and have prayer group, and they are very concerned with this. Their stand, their stand is that they'll, you know, there will be an exit, and um, there won't be a second referendum, so forth. It's really coming down to the wire unless there's something extremely creative from the European Union. There's going to be a hard exit. We'll have to wait and see as far as creativity goes with the European Union and Brexit. Interesting that uh, some of your parliamentary friends are praying about this. That's great. But God's plan, his prophetic scenario for the end times, is still going to take place no matter what happens as it relates to Brexit. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk again next week, buddy. My great pleasure, and thank you for monitoring everything. Well, here's another of our broadcast partners. We have not heard from him for a long time. Good to have him back at the microphone here at the broadcast table. We're talking about Mike Gendron with the ProclaimingTheGospel.org. That's their website, and he's basically proclaiming that gospel to people that are involved in the Catholic Church. Mike, I believe you make statements time after time again. That's one of the largest fields in which you can work to win people to Christ. Well, you're right, Jimmy. There's 1.2 billion Roman Catholics in the world. In fact, in America, one out of four Americans are Roman Catholic. And now they are seeking unity with another very large mission field, and that is the Islamic religion. Together, they represent about 40% of the world's population. So the fields are definitely white for harvest, and we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to work in those fields. Yeah, both of those fields, going to the Catholic community around the world and to the Islamic community as well. In fact, that's the focus I want to have in our conversation together today, Mike. Your newsletter came out. I always read it from top to bottom to find out everything you're doing and what you're having to say about different issues, and this issue came up. Pope Francis' advocacy for Islam could destroy Europe. Now, that was the title of one of the articles in your newsletter, and then all of a sudden the Pope takes off for the Middle East to an Arab country, and they have a conference out there, and he holds a large mass. Talk to us about that trip, and then let's get into the Pope's ideology as it relates to Islam and Christianity. Well, Jimmy, you know for over a year now I have been talking about the convergence of Islam and Roman Catholicism. In fact, I did a conference that we spoke at together, and I gave ten common bonds between Islam and Roman Catholicism. And so a lot of people, when I gave that message, didn't take it seriously, but now we see the Pope has made a trip into the Middle East in order to seek unity with the Islamic faith. And so we do see that the Pope is moving forward at a very rapid rate to bring about the one-world global religion. 
that we know will worship a man who claims to be the Christ. And so this isn't a surprise to me, but I hope that the listeners of your program will take this seriously, that we need to not only contend for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel, but we need to recognize these two false religions need to be saved. And that's an absolute, Mike. I agree 100%. You know, you've just given us the definition of a true biblical prophet today. It's not one that foretells the future, but foretells what God's Word has to say about certain events that will come to pass. It's an absolute. God's prophetic word will be fulfilled. And you can talk to audience after audience. They may not believe you, but all of a sudden, they're going to come back around and understand actually these current events that are telling us exactly where God is in his time to do what he is going to do. Well, let me get to the Pope, Pope Francis. Is he naive about Islam, or is he intentionally trying to put together this false religion and having Islam and Catholicism join forces? No, he is not naive. In fact, um, the man pretty much puts aside any biblical doctrine In fact, a lot of Roman Catholics are very upset with him because he's put aside even historic Roman Catholicism. But his goal is to merge these two religions because he knows that if he gets Islam on his side, then the rest of the smaller religions of the world will follow suit. And the Vatican and Pope Francis have shown that they will not allow anything such as doctrine or ritual to undo any potential gains for the Mother Church. And so we see this Pope not being naive, but he has an agenda to unite the world under the power and influence of his papacy. Well, that's one thing I've noticed in conversations with you in my own observations, that Pope Francis is very pro-one-world government, but he's also, as you've just indicated to us, he's very pro-one-world religion. That's Revelation chapter 17. I mean, that's the direction it seems he's going. Well, that's true. In fact, we see in Revelation 7, well, actually, out of Revelation 13, we see that all who dwell on the earth will worship him, and that, of course, is the first beast, who is the Antichrist, everyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life who has been slain. And so this is the ultimate agenda of the false religion that the Roman Catholic Church is, and the head, Pope Francis, he is... uh, following in the footsteps of another pope, Pope Benedict. In fact, he wrote the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And in paragraph 841, he said that the plan of salvation also includes Muslims. Together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. And so the pope is stating that the Muslims worship the same God as he does. And we know, of course, that the Catholic Church believes that God has a son. Well, the Muslim... God, Allah, does not have a son, but once again, we see that this is not going to slow the Pope down. He's going to overlook that in order to have unity. Well, that unity is going to culminate, I do believe, in the first part of the seven-year tribulation period, that first three and a half years, and be focused there in Rome, Italy. You know, the fact is that, uh, and you've told me this from the very outset, Uh, The Pope Francis is a Jesuit, and in fact, I do believe he's the very first Jesuit to serve as Pope. Does the fact that he is a Jesuit have anything to do with his his game plan for the end times? 
Well, yes, as you probably know, maybe your listening audience is not aware of it, but the Jesuit order was founded in the 16th century after the Protestant Reformation. The Council of Trent was the Counter-Reformation, and that's when the Jesuits were formed as a military force to eliminate any opposition to the Roman Catholic Church. And so in the past, they have put to death people that stood opposed to the Catholic religion, but now they're doing a more subtle approach. They're seeking unity by seeking common peace and common goals with other religions. But, Jimmy, I think the most important thing that we can look at when we look at the emergence of these two religions is that they both esteem Mary so highly. And we know from Scripture that in the last days, lying signs and wonders will bring about a mass deception and a great apostasy. From Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, we see the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And we also see from the Lord himself, he said in Matthew 13, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And I believe these apparitions of Mary that are appearing in more and more places throughout the world are these lying signs and wonders that are bringing about a convergence of Islam and Catholicism because some of the messages from these apparitions who claim to be Mary say things like, if the world will convert to my immaculate heart, I will bring peace and give the world salvation. Muslims, Orthodox, and Catholics are equal before my son and I you are all my children, I'm giving you a piece of heaven. And so now we have Muslims going to apparition sites to get a message from an apparition of Mary. She is the most highly esteemed woman in Islam. She's mentioned more times in the Quran than she is in the Bible. And so we need to look to Mary as the really the catalyst that will bring about this global religion. You know, it's very interesting how all of this is working out. And we are much concerned as we stand on the sidelines seeing what the popes are. They're very, very dangerous. But on the other side of that coin, Mike, it's quite interesting. The stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and that's exciting when we realize the rapture takes us out of here before all of this really comes to fulfillment. Well, that's true, and I just get so excited when I see all these developments that are really a fulfillment of biblical prophecy taking place because we have to keep looking up knowing our redemption is nigh. And I want to encourage your listeners. We read in Romans 11 that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then the rapture will take place. So we need to be doing the Lord's work. We need to be going after those Gentiles so that the church can be raptured and taken to heaven. That is such a fascinating verse in Romans 11:25. And so more than ever, we are to be proclaiming the gospel as soon as the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then we can go to heaven and be with the Lord. You know, I love what the Lord says through the Apostle Peter, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. I'm not willing that any should perish. Now look, I'm going to keep my promise, but I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know me as Lord and Savior. That's what you're telling us, and that's why the name of your ministry, Proclaiming the Gospel, is so key. We need to be doing that. We need to be talking about these issues, but also out proclaiming the gospel at the same time. Would you not agree, Mike? Definitely. We need to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of all praise and honor and glory and dominion. 
And we know there's going to be a false Christ coming on the scene, and so more than ever, we need to expose the evil deeds of darkness, and we do that through radio broadcasts like yours, Jimmy. So we pray that the Lord would continue to bless you and keep you healthy and strong so that the message can keep going forth. Thank you so much, my dear friend. That's Mike Gendron, and he has the ministry ProclaimingTheGospel.org. You can go to that website and see his newsletter, read his articles, find out what he's doing. Mike, thank you so very much for this very important report that you just have given to us. We'll stay in touch and be on top of this with you as we go into the future, awaiting the rapture of the church. Amen, Jimmy. Very, very important conversation from Mike Gendron, the Pope, going into a Arab country and, indeed, a relationship developing between the Vatican and the Arab world. Not sure that's good. You heard what Mike had to say. We need to consider that, take it into our thinking as we look at the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy with a special look at the book of Revelation, chapter 17. Well, right now, we're going to have a brand new broadcast partner with us. In fact, I was going to talk to one of my sons, Rick and Jim Jr., are both over in Romania. They're there on a mission working with Life Romania. That's the name of the organization. And there's a young man that is leading that organization doing one unbelievable job in Romania. His name is Julian Avramesco. And by the way, I think I got that right. Did did I, Julian? uh, That pronunciation is not as good as it should be, probably. (laughs) You did a great job, sir. Well, thank you, sir. He was telling me earlier that uh, his first part of his last name is Abraham, and he doesn't understand why the escu is at the end of it. But let's just call him Julian from now on. We'll have a great conversation. I know both the boys are there. Could you explain what you're doing? I understand you're trying to change the country of Romania through the young people, which was the way it was taken into communism. You have, I believe, an excellent plan to do that. What is actually going on? What are the workshops you're doing now with your young people? Yes, Dr. Diang, our our goal is to reach Romania for Christ, and uh, we use a method called camps and uh, youth camps for the youth. And indeed, just like you said, the communists use this method to change the mentality with uh, their ideologies of the youth of Romania. And for over 46 uh, years, Romania has been communist. And when God searched my heart and uh, called me into ministry, he led me to a youth camp, and I saw the benefits of having the kids for a week and uh, see how God is uh, working in my heart and in their hearts throughout the week and, you know, making a decision for Christ. And uh, I decided to follow Christ for the rest of my life. Uh, in ministry, that's when God called me, and uh, I've been doing that since I was 18, and uh, both me and my wife, God search our hearts in camp ministry, and we feel very good to do, to reach Romania for Christ through youth camps. But something that I think is unique about our ministry is the follow-up, because camps are important. Uh, They last a week, but many times we felt like, uh, what do we do with this youth after the camp is over? So God had led us to do these sports tournaments where we basically 
every other weekend throughout the year, we go back into the villages and the cities where the kids are coming to our camps, and we do a sports tournament. And uh, Friday night, we have a youth rally. Saturday, all day, we have uh, like a soccer tournament. And during lunch, we offer lunch to the kids, and we share the gospel with them. And we had many, many accepting Christ during those times. And then on Sunday, we have celebration at church, at the local church from that village, so we can introduce them to the local church so they can go and see where the actually local church is from their village. And we partner with these churches all across Romania. And after that, we do what we call the 12 steps of discipleship. We basically call everybody and we ask them, now that you accepted Christ and you saw us either in a sport tournament or the camps, would you like to do these 12 steps of spiritual growth to get to know Jesus better? And I, I want to praise God because right now we have over 300 youth involved from all over the country, all over Romania, involved in these 12 steps of discipleship. And those that are really serious about it, they become counselors with us that they serve throughout the summers. And uh, once they become counselors, that shows us again how serious these youth are, and we call them to what we call Mia College. And at Mia College, we want to take them to the next level to get to know the Bible really, really well. And this is where Jimmy Young Jr. and Rick are playing a, a critical role for us because they come and basically they train and equip in, in the Bible uh, and in Bible prophecy to get to know God better so we can serve God better. So this is the role that is very uh, critical and important to me because uh, I believe God gave us the young generation of Romania into our hands. And the question is, what do we do with them? And uh, Jimmy Jr. has been coming over the years to help us. And uh, this time uh, he came together with his brother. And I'm so excited because... Jimmy Jr. has been teaching the book of Daniel, and uh, Rick has been helping him, but also has been, as you already know, Rick is in uh, administrative finances. Uh, he's really good, and he's been teaching these uh, kids uh, also how to manage their finances for the glory of God, how to make a budget. So these are basic things, and also um, not so basics, but more uh, mature tools for this youth to take and once they go back into their villages, into their cities, to be able to uh, help their local churches grow in the knowledge of, uh, of Christ. You know, that sounds so exciting to me. It sounds like you've used the old adage, plan your work and then work your plan. And that's what you're doing. And I can <laughs> see how you're reaching not only the young people, but into the churches and building the churches up as well. God's plan was to put a local church in these communities and then to have those young people come in alongside the pastors and the other leaders in the church. Sounds like mm -hmm. an excellent idea. By the way, uh, Rick did compliment your young people. He said they're full of energy, but when it comes to time to study, they're great students. And so this is giving you a great, great opportunity to develop a, a cadre of people who maybe can take back that country of Romania. I'm so excited to hear about what you're doing, Julian. And uh, let me ask this, as we have to close our conversation now because of time, 
If uh, some people listening into this conversation wanted to pray for your ministry, Life Romania, what would you ask them to pray for? Yeah, we have a website, liferomania.org, and uh, we have uh, a more detailed prayer request list there. Uh, the most important is, you know, for the youth of Romania, as they taste the sweet aroma of the Word of God, to get in love with it and to be able to pass it along, because that's what Jesus calls us. In the same time, we need Jimmy Young has been coming over the years. We need more teachers for Mia College. Uh, we need churches to partner with us to come and help us to multiply the weeks of camps and also the locations of camp uh, throughout Romania, because that's one of our goals. And uh, we need uh, teachers, preachers, English speakers, coaches, people that uh, have on their hearts uh, evangelism and discipleship. That's the prayer request that we have. And, of course, you know, for my family, I have, I'm blessed with a family with a wife, two boys, and one girl. And uh, Julian is the oldest. He's 11. Eric is 9. And then we have a little Melody who is only 7 months old. So... <laughs> I'm really blessed. Praise the Lord. We're so happy to hear about the family. We'll lift them in prayer, of course. When you're in ministry, especially youth ministry, you've got to have the prayer support, that undergirding for your own family. But for your entire ministry at Life Romania, we indeed love the plan, and we want to see you work out that plan and reach that country for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, my good friend. Give my boys our love from mom and dad, and we'll be praying for you in the future. Amen. Thank you, sir, for your time. God bless you. You're certainly welcome. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David James standing by. We're going to have an interesting conversation, a email that we received from one of our listeners. You'll hear the email and then our response. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Right after the broadcast is over, Judy and I head over to Danville, Virginia, the Tabernacle. That's the name of the church where Dr. Dan Campbell is the pastor. He's inviting all of us to come study the prophetic word of God all day Sunday and then Monday evening. We'll be in a two-day prophecy conference there. What a time in history to be looking at the prophetic scenario laid out in God's word. That's the Tabernacle, Danville, Virginia. Come join us as we study the Word on Sunday, 10.15 and 5 in the evening, Monday night at 7 p.m. with Prophecy Q&A before each of the evening services. Well, I want you to answer my poll question, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column on the home page, if you'll scroll down, you'll find the question. Here's the question. On the 40th anniversary of the Iranian Islamic Revolution, do the activities of the Iranian Republic seem to be complying more with the prophetic scenario for Iran as found in Bible prophecy? Now, that's the question I believe you're going to have to answer in the affirmative. I would love to see what your answer is, and we'll check that out after you answer the poll 
question. I want to remind you that we have tours going to Israel, also over to Jordan, to Petra, into Turkey, and in finally to Rome, the next most prophetic city. If you'd like to find out information about our tours, we have five or six this coming year. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel, and you can find out the dates, the cost, and the itinerary for upcoming tours. We now bring to these microphones David James. We have a weekly conversation right here on Prophecy Today weekend. This is the one for this week, and we want to focus on an email that we received from one of our listeners. But before we do that, Dave, and we're going to connect with you just for a moment before you get ready to leave for two weeks of ministry there in Uganda. That's right. I've only had a couple of weeks home and from the Philippines, and then I head to Uganda, and I'll be there teaching God's plan through the ages and signs, wonders, and the charismatic movement. And this will be my fifth trip there to teach those two courses. Well, that's going to be a great opportunity to reach those young people and get the gospel into them, and the Word of God especially, helping them to understand how key their ministry may be in the future, should the Lord tarry. Well, last week, we received an email from one of our listeners who took us to task for believing and teaching that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah. That's right, and interestingly, she seems to be actually a practicing Jewish believer, so I'm not sure how she stumbled across our our broadcast or your broadcast, but uh, she did send an email in, and as always, we want to try to respond to them if we think that it would be helpful for not just uh, that particular listener, but for all our listeners, and here's what she wrote. She said, it really upsets me that you can't seem to see that the Torah is written to Jews and there is nothing in it about Jesus Christ. He couldn't have been the Messiah or Mashiach because he did not fulfill any of the prophecies about the Messiah. No human is acceptable as a sacrifice, and sacrifice is not even the correct word. It is korban, which she says means drawing close, and we'll get to that later. And then she says, please listen to Rabbi Tovia Singer on his website, and I think you might, if you actually listen, see how far off your teaching is. Well, that's very interesting. I have listened to him several times, and as you say, we'll get to that particular issue in a moment. You know, I think it might be helpful to begin with the matter of the thousands of first-century Jews who knew the Hebrew Scriptures, but they came to believe that Jesus Christ was truly the Messiah. That's absolutely right. This is not something that is just a Christian invention hundreds of years after the fact. We go to Acts chapter 1 and 2, and uh, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, we, we know from Acts chapter 1 that there were 120 Jews present and uh, they were all Jewish. And then, because of being the day of Pentecost, which is one of three of the Jewish feasts where Jews from all over the world were to be in Jerusalem, we read in verse 5 of chapter 2, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Then as you go on down through the chapter, you find that there were 14 countries or regions that were mentioned that included both Jews and Gentiles. And then you get down to verse 41, and you find that there were actually 3,000 who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ on that day alone. And uh, we also know that the Apostle Paul 
first of all, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He describes himself that way, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He studied under Gamaliel, who was a very well-respected teacher of the Jewish scriptures of the law in that day. And uh, Paul, after he received Christ as his Savior, being encountered on the road to Damascus, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So you have all of the first believers in all of the New Testament churches, all of the first Christians actually came directly out of Judaism and and embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior, as their Redeemer. David, what about our listeners' objection that the Torah, that's the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, which was written to Jews, and there's nothing in those books about Jesus Christ? Well, interestingly, I was actually, in doing research for this program, I was looking at some apologetic work done by an ethnic Jew who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ many, many years ago, a time he was around 20, and he pointed out in one of his books, as a response actually to that question, this is exactly what he says, you would be surprised to see how many passages and concepts actually point to Jesus the Messiah in the Torah, but before you question my beliefs, are you aware the Torah doesn't say much about the traditional Jewish Messiah? So that is interesting. There there aren't that many direct references to the Messiah at all. There are foreshadows that I'll talk about here in just a moment. The word Messiah or Mashiach, the Anointed One, is only found four times, and that's in the book of Leviticus. So that's actually a double-edged sword that cuts both ways. In fact, the Messiah being the son of David, which is important in Judaism, uh, that is obviously not mentioned in the Torah either, because this was long before David was born. But going back to the idea of uh, prophecies in the Torah, there are at least 117 prophecies, appearances, or foreshadowings of Christ in those first five books of the Bible. And just as quick reference, just in Genesis 3.15, which is the first prophecy in the Bible regarding the coming of the Messiah, it says that he would be a human born of a woman, he will reconcile people to God, and he will crush Satan at his own expense, meaning that Satan will uh, harm him, but he will ultimately defeat Satan. We know from Genesis 22 he'd be a descendant of Abraham. From Genesis 26, he'd be a descendant of Abraham's son Isaac. We could go on in Genesis, then there's the sacrificial system that is laid out both in Exodus and then more fully in Leviticus, which laid the foundation for the idea that the Messiah, there was need for ultimately one who would be a once-for-all sacrifice as opposed to the blood of goats and calves and bulls that needed to be sacrificed over and over and over again. And then uh, just finally, there's the matter of Moses himself being a foreshadow of Jesus Christ as a deliverer, and he says, Moses writes in Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. So there's a greater prophet that will come, one who is even greater than Moses, and that points to Jesus Christ. Well, that's a great overview of the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. But David, respond to the claim that there is no prophecy that you can find anywhere in the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures that were fulfilled, no prophecies fulfilled by Jesus himself. 
Well, I did some research on this as well, and I've looked at it many times before, but just for today's program, I found uh, uh, a website called BibleArchaeology.org, and uh, the name of their ministry is Associates for Biblical Research, and they point out that there are at least 144 uh, references or prophecies or foreshadows in the writings, and at least 153 in the prophets, so altogether with uh, the Pentateuch, that makes over 400 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. And we could just spend lots of time on that, but we don't have it. But just touching the tip of the iceberg, Psalm 22 is very much about the crucifixion of the Messiah. And in fact, hundreds and hundreds, thousand years before uh, the Romans developed crucifixion as a means of execution, it's very well described in Psalm 22. Of course, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, talking about the virgin birth, and that is confirmed by Matthew in Isaiah 9, talking about uh, he would be appear in Galilee and be a light to the Gentiles, and that he would sit on the throne of David. Psalm 53, he'd be silent before his accusers. He would be numbered with the transgressors. Micah, he would be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah 5.2. Zechariah chapter 12, we read that Zechariah foreshadowed the piercing of Jesus. And even Malachi, the very last book that we have in our English Bibles, a messenger would pre- prepare the way for the Lord. So it's just over and over and over, over 400 instances. Well, let's then think about our listeners' claim that sacrifice is not the correct word. She says it's korban, which she said means drawing closer, not sacrifice. Well, that could be the basic meaning of the term korban, but that is actually different than the word that is primarily used throughout the Old Testament for sacrifice. It is translated as an offering 68 times, and it's only used as a sacrifice one time in the entire Old Testament, whereas the word zavah, is actually used 155 times. It's translated to sacrifice 155 times, offering six times, and there are other words as well, and these do refer to blood sacrifices, so she's factually wrong on that. Now, we both mentioned a rabbi that she mentioned in her email. His name is Tovia Singer. What can you tell us about this man? Well, he is the founder of a ministry called Outreach Judaism, and its tagline is Judaism's Response to Christian Missionaries. So he's well known as a founder and director of this ministry. He speaks to over 100 audiences a year. He very much tries to provide an apologetic to Jews who are in Judaism against Christians, and so he does debates as well. He's written books, and uh, he certainly, as as a rabbi, he denies the deity of Jesus Christ, and therefore he cannot be trusted when it comes to the idea of actually teaching truth from the Word of God, and he's actually missed all these prophecies that we talked about, and that the first Jews in the first century uh, also recognized were about the Messiah. Well, finally, let's uh, see what advice you may have to all of us who are interacting with someone who might be Jewish or even belonging to any other religion. Sure. Well, there's uh, several things I would just uh, give off the top of my head since I I deal with these kinds of things all the time. First and foremost, know the Bible yourself. Know what you're talking about from the Word of God so someone can't trip you up. 
Then second, take time to understand what others believe, and this can include uh, reading what they've written, but also spend some time studying the work of those who do evangelism and who respond to these different groups to see that there really are answers to all these objections. Then I would say ask some leading questions. They're less threatening than statements, and then let the other person answer those questions, because people really get frustrated when they think you don't understand them and aren't listening. So hear them out and then respond. Understand that it could be a long process and that family and social pressures could really be a problem and and even more so than theological problems. And then finally, and this is really good news for us, uh, persuading someone of the truth of the scriptures is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit, not our persuasive arguments. You know, I like that thought about asking questions. That really opens up the mind of someone you may be talking with. Great, great thoughts in how to interact with someone about Jesus Christ. David, a very important response to this email from one of our listeners. Thank you for researching it and giving us some interesting thoughts to consider in our conversation today. Uh, Have a safe trip over to Uganda, and from Uganda, we'll talk with you about another issue next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Always a pleasure being with you. Well, that's going to be a great opportunity to reach those young people and get the gospel into them, and the Word of God especially, helping them to understand how key their ministry may be in the future, should the Lord tarry. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll open the Bible, we'll look at the current events, and we'll see how God's Word helps us to understand current events, and we can recognize the soon coming of Jesus Christ. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we focused with several of our broadcast partners on Iran today, and we stopped to remember that Iran's Islamic revolution took place 40 years ago. Well, more on that in a moment, but let me remind you that we post all of our conversations with our broadcast partners on my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the website first and then to Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's P-T-R-N. If you'll go there, you'll be able to listen or re-listen to all of my broadcast partners and their reports. And do me a favor, be sure to alert your friends of this service. They need to hear these reports as well. For example, as we had these conversations, Ken Timmerman gave us a report on the 40th anniversary of the Iranian Islamic Revolution. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. We looked at Iran, and they have threatened a ground, sea, and air war on Israel, and they want to annihilate the Jewish state. John Rood, who covers the European Union for us, said that Iran is a growing threat to all of Europe, not only the European Union. And then we had three other reports focused on other subjects. Mike Gendron gave us a report about the Pope going to a Middle Eastern state and the seemingly marriage between Catholicism and the Islamic faith. You don't want to miss Mike Gendron's report. Yulian Avramescu, a leader of an organization entitled Life Romania, is working with the young people of Romania to take back the country. The communists used the youth to overthrow Romania and make it a communist nation, but now Yulian wants to reverse that and train up the young people to take back their country, Romania, for Jesus Christ. And then we had my weekly conversation with David James. We responded to an email from a listener about whether Jesus is mentioned in the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament, or is he not even thought of, and was he truly the Messiah? Is there enough prophetic truth in the Bible to confirm that? You don't want to miss that conversation either. Remember, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and you can hear these reports. But now let me take a moment to look at the Iranian Islamic Revolution at 40 years of age. I must remind you that if you go back in history, I'm talking about around 2,500 years ago, the name that surfaces as it relates to Iran at that time, known as Biblical Persia, would be Cyrus. In the book of Isaiah, chapters 44 and 45, Isaiah mentioned that Cyrus, and by name he mentioned him, and this was 150 years before the fact, would be raised to power in this world by the Lord himself to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. That's an amazing thing, and in fact, this year the Sanhedrin put the profile of Cyrus on a half shekel, the silver shekel, which is the temple tax for the Jewish people. Now that was Iran 2,500 years ago, known then as Biblical Persia. Iran today, however, is a threat to the entire world. 
in particular, Israel and the United States. The United States, the big Satan, Israel, the little Satan. And for years, they have been saying in Iran, they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth that her name be forgotten forever. But not only is Iran a threat to Israel and the United States, it's a threat to all the Middle East and even the European Union as well. They are a state sponsor of terrorism. For example, Hezbollah and Hamas and many other terror organizations receive their funding, their training, their munitions from Iran. And you cannot forget that they are developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. This all started 40 years ago when the Ayatollah Khomeini returned from exile in France. It came back to Iran, and the revolution would then take place. By the way, I was a journalist at the White House in 1978 when the Shah of Iran, who was the leader of Iran at that time in history, was visiting with President Jimmy Carter, and the president told the Shah that the United States would withdraw their support of the nation of Iran, which opened the door for the Iranian Islamic Revolution to take place. When the Ayatollah Khomeini came back, that is exactly what happened. In addition to that, you must remember that Russia gave technology and technicians to Iran for the development of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. During the presidency of Barack Obama, he put in place the Iranian nuclear deal. That would allow Iran to receive millions and millions of dollars in order to be able to support terrorist organizations around this world and to develop that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Everything that these political leaders have done have helped set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Remember the book of Ezekiel chapter 38 along with Psalm 83 and Daniel chapter 11 talks about an alignment of nations that will form to come against the state of Israel. In Ezekiel 38 and verse 5, it mentions Persia. Now remember I referred to Persia when Cyrus came to power and ruled that empire in this world. But let me tell you, Persia was the name of the country we know as Iran today until 1936. And since that time, Iran has developed a hatred of the Jewish state of Israel. The Bible tells us there will be an alignment of nations, and one of the key players, according to Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, will be Persia, modern-day Iran. They will have one goal, to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. That's where we are today on this, the 40th anniversary of the Iranian Islamic Revolution. However, there is one thing that has to happen before that alignment of nations tries to destroy the Jewish state. That's the rapture, when the Lord takes the church out of this world into the heavenlies. And by the way, that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.